Welcome to you wherever you're at, whomever you're with. Uh, We are so very glad and excited that you are here with us this weekend to spend these few moments together. Before we jump into our teaching, I do want to mention this great and absolutely free resource called the YouVersion, and uh, it has all kinds of translations of the Bible, all kinds of reading plans. You can uh, search by topic, and uh, this weekend, if you look under events, Arlington FM Church, you will find a complete set of notes for this message. Well, we are in a series uh, I'm really excited about uh, through Paul's amazing letter to the Romans, and we're calling it the Dawn Treaders, and it's based on this uh, text from Paul's letter in Romans chapter 13, verse 12, which reads, the night uh, is nearly over. The day is almost here, so let us then put aside the deeds of darkness, and let's put on the armor of light. And see, uh, Paul, as he comes to the end of this incredible treatise on the, the Christian faith, really is underscoring that with the coming of Christ, a new day has begun, a new day is uh, advancing, a new realm is calling. In fact, in one of Paul's other letters, as we referenced, uh, when we came to Christ, Paul says we were uh, rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son whom God loves. And so dawn treaders are people who lean into that kingdom. Uh, They realize that this present order with priorities and values and conflicts and chaos, it's losing its grip on our lives and on our hearts. And uh, even though it may not seem like it, we see the light dawning of the advance of Christ's kingdom in our world and in our hearts. And so we live toward that now. These are adventuresome souls, courageous souls, really, who are willing to live beyond the norms march to a different drum, and actually uh, follow Christ in his example as he lived out the will of God in this world. Uh, Someone uh, sent me a a picture this week when they heard the the title of this series, Dawn Treaders, and uh, they said, hey, there were some people in the church uh, a while ago, uh, had been here for decades, Uh, they've since uh, passed on and uh, are with the Lord, but he said they owned a boat and their boat was named the Dawn Treader. And so uh, he sent me this picture, and you may not be able to see the words on the front there of that boat, but it was named the Dawn Treader. Uh, obviously, they were aware of Lewis's book about this uh, glorious ship that was always sailing east, uh, looking for the kingdom of the great king. And uh, this uh, guy who sent me the photo apologized. He said, this is a photo of a photo that was on a computer screen. Uh, So I looked up and I found a better picture of their boat. Here it is. And uh, this is the actual Dawn Treader. And it uh, again depicts those courageous souls who uh, are hearkening uh, to a coming light. You know, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world and the light shines in the darkness. The darkness can't overcome it. And Dawn Treaders uh, have that spirit and they're choosing to live by the light that Jesus brings into our lives. And uh, we saw last week uh, that really the power, uh, the energy source of this kingdom that we're being called and invited to live into is the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's the entry point. It's the only way uh, to begin to step into the kingdom 
that God has initiated. And so Paul, uh, we uh, studied these words last week, wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, uh, that God has revealed himself completely in the person of Jesus Christ and through his death and burial and resurrection. He's opened the way uh, for us to reconnect with God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that message because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, and first to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. And you'll, you'll uh, recall, if you watched our message last week, uh, that Paul specifically writes this letter to the Romans to bring into unity uh, Jewish Messianic Jews, followers of Christ, and Gentile followers of Christ, that uh, they suddenly have been thrown into the church together. And there's division and discord and uh, one group lifting themselves up above others. Well, here's the message of the good news. There is really no greater power to help people than the good news of Jesus Christ, that God has revealed himself completely to us in the person of Jesus. Uh, God allowed his fullness to dwell in him. And uh, that brings hope. It brings freedom. It brings the ability to, to again, uh, reconnect with God and experience all of his resource for living. And, uh, you know, I want to put this statement in front of you. It's an affirmation uh, to live as someone who's not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, here's what it says. God, with your help and the courage of the Holy Spirit, I will not hoard or hide the good news of Jesus from others. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for saving and helping people. And so uh, this prayer helped me to live openly and freely and give to others what you have freely given to me. I would encourage you at the end of this message, go back to this, uh, those words, uh, take a screenshot and uh, actually make that affirmation and that statement. It will release the power of the gospel in a new way in your life. Uh, well, uh, this weekend, uh, we're going to continue uh, going through uh, Paul's letter to Rome, and uh, he, he begins to address uh, one perspective, one disposition that uh, we can carry out of darkness into our experience of Christ's light, and it will hinder us. It will hold us back. It's, uh, it's like an old habit or an addiction that try as we may to live uh, as children of the dawn of this new light, it will keep pulling us backwards. Uh, I was reminded of, um, you know, there was this horrendous oil spill down in Southern California over the past couple of weeks. And uh, one of the points of focus was that perhaps uh, one of these large freighter ships had drug its anchor across the pipeline and created this incredible environmental disaster. And, you know, this tendency that Paul's going to address uh, in this section we'll read this weekend, it's like dragging that anchor uh, if we don't name it and distance ourselves from it, pull up the anchor. Uh, we're going to create incredible damage in our own faith journey and in the lives of others. Well, uh, here's what that tendency is. It's our tendency to judge others. Uh, hear that again. Uh, this tendency that's like an anchor uh, that drags us back to the uh, kingdom of darkness, that keeps us from moving towards 
the kingdom that Jesus came to initiate is our tendency to judge and condemn others. Uh, Jesus couldn't have been more clear in his great Sermon on the Mount. He says these words, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Uh, You might want to read those words out loud with me. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I would just ask, could Jesus, the Son of God, you know, who is the word of the eternal God made flesh, could he have been more clear in saying, look, uh, if there's anything that you don't want to do as one of my followers, don't judge people. Because in the same way that you judge people, God will judge you. And so uh, here's the title uh, to our message uh, this weekend from Paul's letter. It's Here Comes the Judge, and it ain't you, and it ain't me. Uh, The judge that is coming uh, should not be either of of us. And here's how Paul uh, begins to lead us into the justice and the righteous judgment of God. He says... uh, uh, In Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 20, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and all the wickedness of people. Excuse me, verse 18. uh, The wrath of God is being revealed against uh, all the godlessness and all the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their behavior or their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. And here's how he's done that. Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, these have all been clearly seen and understood from what he has made. And so uh, here is a a drift that Paul begins to describe now, uh, away from God and into kind of a self-styled, Life, uh, for although they knew God, Paul says in verse 20, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so uh, Paul begins to describe uh, what humans look like when they are separated from their creator, when they're not experiencing the influence and the input and the guidance and the love uh, that only God can bring into our lives is, uh, you know, uh, Paul describes what an appropriate response uh, to this God who has revealed himself through everything that has been created. An appropriate response is a desire to, to glorify God. It's a big word, but really it means to live in such a way that God is, is uh, magnified through our lives and through our lifestyle He says, when we see God as he is, his eternal power, his divine nature, his goodness, uh, there should be an appropriate response, which says, I want to express the goodness of that God through my actions, through my behaviors. And then he says, another appropriate response is to give thanks to him as God. And so you, you put these together an appropriate response to the God who has revealed himself through all of creation is to live with uh, gratitude, to see our lives uh, as an expression of gratitude for the gift 
of life that only God can give us. Well, uh, Paul mentions the wrath of God being revealed. And uh, it's, it's important to know that in this text, the wrath of God that's being revealed is the consequence of people living without God. Uh, that's what's on display. And uh, look around at the world. And when you see a, a drift away from the influence of God, you see confusion and chaos and wreckage and breakdown in relationships and uh, life gone astray. And, and that is the wrath of God that can be seen. It, it's similar to the, uh, the battle hymn of the, the Republic, this great song of the Civil War. And that line, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. What's the writer saying? When I look around at the conflict that humans have brought on themselves, I see the wrath of God on display. And, and what's really on display is how messed up our lives get when we reject the influence of God. Uh, Paul goes on to describe what this life looks like. He says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal humans uh, and birds and animals and reptiles. What's he saying? Uh, when we lose sight of God, we fill it up with other things. We fill up our, our propensity to worship, to be devoted. Instead of being devoted to the immortal God, we create images, uh, things, activities, pursuits, and they become little gods that capture our attention and our devotion. Uh, our devotion goes from loving the Creator to loving created things, and that's exactly what Paul begins to describe. He says, therefore, uh, God gave them over, and uh, those words should, should impact us. Uh, because of this drift away from God and His influence, God said, okay, uh, have your way. I'm going to turn you loose. I'm letting you off the leash. I'm opening the door. Uh, go for it and, and see where that takes you. So God gave them over to their own desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with each other. And uh, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, whom Paul says should be forever praised. Amen. Well, uh, you know, that's the scariest thing, really, that God could do is uh, to say, okay, have it your way. Uh, you know, you, you want to distance yourself. You want to suppress uh, the truth of who God is and his gracious and glorious influence on your life. Well, then go for it. It, it brings to mind the story Jesus told. We call it the prodigal son. Uh, but in this story, this son rebellious son comes to his father and says, uh, I want my inheritance now. And his father says, well, okay, here it is. And he turned him loose. And uh, as you know the story, uh, this son went on to basically destroy his life. He uh, lost everything that was of value, lost his dignity, lost his pride, lost his sense of destiny, ends up uh, a good Jewish boy feeding the pigs, and wishing he could eat some of the pods he was giving them. And uh, so, you know, God would almost say, how's that working for you? Uh, and so he goes on, Paul, in his description of this 
drift away from God's influence. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relationships for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women. They were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, uh, keep in mind, uh, Paul is attempting to, uh, his real goal is to bring together these Messianic Jews uh, with these Gentile uh, followers of Christ and uh, to help them realize they are one body. They are called to be, follow one Lord. Uh, they are united. Uh, every wall has been broken down according to Paul's own uh, teaching. And uh, what Paul has just described here is a, a, a life that's adrift from the influence and the counsel of God from a Jewish perspective. And, and this really would have described uh, a view of godless in his words, disgusting people who have drifted away from a relationship with their creator. And all of the language Paul used describes an ethic and a morality that was unique to the Jewish people. Well, in verse 28, Paul begins to describe this drift away from God from a Hellenistic perspective. This would have been away from the great philosophers who saw that the way we think, the way we use our minds can reflect the virtue and the values of God or they can reflect a kind of a bent and twisted humanity. And so Paul, uh, again, describing this drift away from God, says, furthermore, uh, just as they, people, did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, a, a, a mind that was divorced from the truth of God. And so they do what ought not to be done. As we think, so we live. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, of evil, of greed, of depravity. They are full of envy, full of murder, full of strife, full of deceit, full of malice. Uh, so Paul now describes, again, from, a, from a, a Greek Hellenistic viewpoint, what humans separated from authentic God tend to do. And uh, their thoughts grow darker and dimmer about what matters and what virtues we really ought to live by. He continues to describe this kind of lifestyle. He says in verse 30, they are gossips. Uh, they love to talk about others behind their backs. They're slanderers. They love to tear others down with their words. They are God-haters, uh, not so much uh, in their belief system, but in their actions, in the way that they create people, create, or uh, treat people created in the image of God. They are insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding. They have no loyalty or fidelity. They have no real love or willingness to give themselves for the betterment of others. And they have no mercy on those who need their compassion. Uh, see, folks, these are the kind of people you don't want your children to grow up to be. Uh, these are um, humans uh, living by their instincts, by their lower, uh, baser appetites, 
instead of by the virtues of, uh, as we said, being shaped and made in the very image of God. Now, Paul concludes this rather dark description. He says, although they knew God's righteous decree, uh, keeping in mind that God has made himself known through what he has created, although they knew this, uh, that those who, who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, live out these lifestyles, but they also approve of those who practice them. You might say misery loves company, and uh, birds of a feather do indeed flock together. Well, uh, here's a, a pivot point in Paul's letter, and it, it really comes down to this. Uh, what do you do with a list? What do we do with a list like this? You know, there's a pretty sordid description of what our lives can become when we're not open to the influence of the God who made us. Uh, but here, let's make it more personal. What do you do with a list like this? When you read through this list, what goes on in your mind? What goes on in your heart? But more importantly, what translates into your actions and into your behavior? You know, uh, we can ignore a list like this. We can say, well, that's just, that's just one man's thoughts on uh, how to follow Jesus, and uh, I've got my own. Or, or we could say, well, uh, you know, we could use this list uh, to divide good people from bad people, uh, this group from that group, uh, genuine faith from false uh, belief, and uh, we could almost be like that Jack Johnson song, where'd all the good people go? As we read this list and say, this really describes the majority of humanity. Uh, we can read this list and uh, put people under the category. We might not say it this uh, plainly, but we can say these are the disgusting people. Uh, these are the people that, that are really uh, what the problem is in the world. And uh, this is what uh, has br brought the wrath and the judgment of God upon humanity. Uh, Jesus told a story, and we referenced it many times, of two men who went up to the temple to pray to God. And one of them, uh, he'd have been the kind of guy who took this list and used it to, to bring judgment on others, used it to puff himself up. In fact, he stood before God, according to the story of Jesus, and said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like these disgusting people or even that one over there. And, uh, but here's what I would say about this list. Uh, if you believe the Bible, if you believe the Bible is the word of God and uh, you believe that, that the spirit of God uh, inspired the apostle Paul to write these words, to, to fashion this list, we probably ought to do what Paul says to do with this list. We probably ought to do what the Bible says we should do with this list. And uh, here's what Paul writes if we continue reading uh, in his letter to the Romans. He says, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, uh, after going through this description of what humans who drift away from the influence of their creator look and act and talk and, and uh, behave like, he says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the very same things. And uh, as we read 
those incredibly important words about how we handle a response or respond to a list like this. Did you happen to notice there's a recurring pronoun in Paul's words? Uh, Here it is. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, uh, at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the very same things. And so I would just say uh, this to you. Uh, If you read this list and you think about anyone but yourself, you are missing the point. Uh, Hear that again. If you read this list of what godless humanity acts like and you think about anyone but yourself, you are missing Paul's point. Uh, Paul's point is that this is us. This is the desperate state we find ourselves in as people who've suppressed the truth about God that is expressed to us in every way in so many uh, different aspects of God's creation. Uh, Paul elaborates in verse 2. He says, now we know that God's judgment against those who have uh, drifted away from him is based on truth. Uh, But here's the contrast. But when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, you do the same things. Do you think that you will escape God's judgment? That's a really good question. Uh, When we think that we can take a list like this and use it uh, to judge and condemn anyone for anything on this list, uh, Paul says, we're bringing the same judgment on ourselves. And he asks a question. Do you think you can do that and escape God's judgment? And the answer would be, uh, I hope not. Uh, But so often, that is what we think. We think that somehow, uh, you know, because my point on this list is less heinous than this aspect, that I can judge others for where they fall short of God's glory, and uh, somehow I'll escape Uh, The truth that God says, if you judge, you too will be judged. Well, uh, here's a good question. Uh, What does God do with people who do that? Uh, You know, at whatever point, Paul says, you judge another from this list, you bring judgment on yourself at whatever point. And uh, when we do that, uh, we are following through with Paul's description. We're suppressing the truth about God. We're denying his eternal power and his divine nature. We're not glorifying God and living a life of gratitude. We have allowed our thinking to become futile and our hearts to become darkened. We claim to be wise beyond the very words and teaching of Jesus who said, don't do this and act like this. Uh, We worship created things rather than the creator and uh, we get turned loose by God. He says, okay, I'm going to give you over to that. Go ahead and live that way and see where that takes you. Uh, We become, uh, as Paul said, people who are not only experiencing the wrath of God being revealed now, but we're storing up wrath for ourselves. And here's a good question. When we act like that, when we choose to live out our faith like that, uh, what does God do? Uh, Well, 
He, he allows us to experience consequences, but here's a surprising truth. He blesses us. He continues to bring good things into our lives. He continues to uh, express his grace to us in countless ways, even though we do the very things that are distancing us from his truth. Why, why do we believe that's true? Because Jesus said this. He said, God causes his goodness, his son, to rise uh, on the just and the unjust. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, why would God do that? Well, that's where Paul ends in this uh, section of his amazing letter, and it's where I'd like us to end uh, today. Here's what Paul says uh, as God shows his goodness to us. Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, for the riches of God's forbearance, for the riches of God. In other words, if we continue to judge others at any point in this list, we are showing contempt for the riches of God's kindness, his forbearance, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead, there's that pronoun again, you to repentance. Uh, see, here's the truth Paul is trying to get at. Uh, regardless of what our brokenness looks like, regardless of how we have drifted away from God and suppressed the truth by our behavior, uh, when we give ourselves uh, to judging and condemning anyone at any point, we're, we're uh, presuming upon the kindness and the forbearance and the patience of God because the truth is God continues to express his goodness to us in spite of where we're at, in hope, in hope that his kindness will lead us to repentance. That is an amazing reality uh, that God continues to pour his love into our lives, express his patience for our rebellious ways, uh, forbearance, because he's hoping that it will lead us to repentance. And uh, really, repentance is a big deal in Paul's letter to the Romans. In Romans uh, 12, he'll talk about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And see, God is trying to prime the pump uh, of, our, our, of our spirit and our soul that something in us will reawaken uh, to the goodness of God, uh, to the uh, generous, uh, life-giving disposition of God, and that... Uh, in that awakening, there'll be a desire to uh, worship him as God and to live a life of gratitude and to express the life in the world that Jesus demonstrated. His kindness is meant to lead us to a changed perspective on God, on ourselves, and the way we interact with others. Well, I want to end with uh, this uh, story. Uh, I had a friend who... Um, was leading a little group of Christ followers uh, down in a suburb of Portland, Oregon. This was at least uh, half a century ago. And uh, they had decided that they were going to take Jesus uh, at his word when he said, I give you a new commandment that you would love each other the way that I have loved you, uh, pouring yourself out for one another and for people in spite of their brokenness. And so they took that to heart. They began to live it. And uh, 
it began to radically change their lives, their community, their city, and really the world. And uh, this little group of Christ followers uh, grew up uh, to a, a congregation, uh, a family of believers of thousands and thousands of Christ followers who had uh, come to know him through that genuine expression of love. Well, uh, someone asked him to, to write a book describing what had happened uh, with these Christ followers in this little church that had exploded so dynamically. And he did. And the book was called Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness. And it was their way of trying to describe the heart of the good news uh, that Jesus uh, loved, accepted, forgave us, and then sent us out into the world to express the same to others. Well, um, one uh, little similar group of Christ followers meeting in a living room in the South came across uh, Jerry's book, and they decided a, a similar thing. They said, what if, uh, what if we started a church and we followed this, love, acceptance, and forgiveness, and we really lived that out? And so they did. Well, lo and behold, 20 years later, they too grew up, grew up into a, a family of believers of thousands. And uh, they, uh, though they had never met my friend Jerry, they contacted him and asked if he would come and help them celebrate their 20-year anniversary. And uh, as he uh, went into this wonderful facility uh, and walked up to the stage, he noticed on the podium engraved were the words dedicated to love, accept, the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I, I share that with you because it's a wonderful glimpse of dawn treaders deciding whatever darkness is unfolding in our world, in our complex societies, that we're going to dial it back. We're going to get back to the essence of the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of God expressed uh, through his Son, uh, catalyzing, uh, bringing us back to that kind of response to our Creator. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we just want to thank you that you, you exist. Uh, your word says it's impossible to draw near to God unless we first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so we come into your amazing presence. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that though we had chosen uh, to drift from you, uh, that in many of us, we could look at our history, we could look at our current lifestyles, we could look at uh, you know, the, the list and find ourselves there, and we just would uh, celebrate right now that your kindness is meant to lead us to repentance and uh, that we would have a new mind toward you today, a new heart that really does respond in worship and in gratitude and in thankfulness. And uh, maybe you're hearing these words and uh, you realize you've never claimed the gift of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, but there's something awakening in your heart right now. That's called faith. And uh, if that's you, I want to uh, lead you in a response to that. You know, Paul will say later in Romans chapter 10, uh, if we uh, confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We'll experience all of God's kindness. 
uh, that is meant to change our lives in really wonderful ways. And uh, so uh, if that's your heart, uh, confess these words. Lord Jesus, I believe that you came. I believe that you lived. I believe that you taught wonderful things. I believe that you died on a cross and were raised from the dead. And I need you. I want to receive the forgiveness of sins that you died for. And so I'm asking you right now, uh, pay my debt. Uh, allow me to be loved and accepted and forgiven by God in spite of who I am and where I've been. And uh, teach me uh, how to become a new creation in you as I set my heart to live into your kingdom. And I pray that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.